0: Welcome to our play therapy podcast, where in here you can decide. I'm your co-host Sarah.
1: And I'm Carly.
0: Today we're gonna to be talking about the differences between play and play therapy.
1: I feel like this is such an important topic because whenever I'm talking about the school or the classes that I'm taking and I mentioned that I am taking play therapy, everyone has so many questions, which I mean they do of course, just when I say that I'm in counseling. But then specifically yeah. with play therapy, they're like all the questions and they are wondering you know what how is play therapy any different than what their child is doing at home
0: yeah like as we mentioned at first right it's also like with therapy too people are like oh like how is that different from just talking to your friends or talking to like your parents or whatever but I feel like therapy is therapy like it's not just (laughs) talking it's not just playing yeah yeah
1: and I mean we are like We mentioned in the first episode, we're specifically trained to do therapy and there are play therapists that are specifically trained to do play therapy. And so it's different. And I guess today we're going to just be talking about what those differences are and why it's it's not the same as playing as playing at home, even though playing at home is so, so, so important for a child.
0: Yeah, because I think the part of the reason why we wanted to also make this difference is that it's also to highlight how important play is. And then seeing how it can, because it's so important, how we can utilize it in therapy.
1: Totally. I'm just thinking about, I was recently at my nephew's birthday party and uh, his aunt was asking me about play therapy and I was kind of explaining, you know, what we've been learning, especially with our child-centered approach. And I just was mentioning a few things that we're going to get into later on the episode, but mostly about like, oh, the child doesn't clean up uh, the playroom, right? Mm. The therapist cleans up the playroom. And you know, it's very non-directive. And I was explaining all those things and she was like, well, well then I feel like my house is already the playroom because they don't clean up anything. <laughs> and right. so I was like, oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I understand what you're saying it's not the same. I mean, you kind of have this expectation that your kid is going to clean up and, and then there are feelings about the fact that they did it and that's different in the playroom. And I think there's definitely a lot of thoughts between yeah. play and play <laughs> therapy. <laughs>
0: I think the part of why like we wanted to like make this podcast to like share with adults and like parents is because we can we notice these instances where like when you start involving your parents into like your child's therapy it gets like kind of touchy mm. where it's like oh now I want to relate it to like the, all the issues that I have at home of like oh like well, oh then, yeah, now, yeah it's yeah. like oh like they never do this and this in a home and then it's like right. kind of becomes like this bench
1: session about their child but right uh, yeah. and then it's like all of a sudden and the focus is taken away from the child mm-hmm. And I mean that—that that is such an important point and I'm not sure that I'm not sure we're saying it in this episode or if we said it last episode but as the play therapist like the child is our client and mm-hmm. the child is our focus and like you may be having concerns at home which are 100% valid and important for us to know sometimes so we can have an idea of how we're going to help the child uh, if that's our theoretical approach that we're using. It's not for child centered <laughs> but for other ones it could be but it's. It turns into exactly away from the child and more so what the parent's expectations are of the child and not the child's own feelings and thoughts. And so play therapy is totally a place for us to to dive into the child's thoughts and feelings and building that connection with them and finding and giving them power and giving them control. And then that in turn will let them have control in their in their lives in other spaces, but... Which could mean at home. Which could mean at home, totally. But you're so right about (laughs) then the parents come in and they're like well, my kid is always slamming the door. Right. They are never picking up after themselves. There's Legos everywhere like fix my kid.
0: Yes, it becomes this whole like disciplining thing.
1: Yes, like, and then it's like the play therapy is a punishment for them right. because they're not doing what their parent thinks they should be doing. Yeah. And that's not at all what play therapy is or what we're working on. Yeah. So we're going to be, like Sarah said, we're going to be discussing the differences between play and play therapy. So first got to be really aware of what play and play therapy are. Play is an activity that children engage in naturally. It's spontaneous usually it's enjoyable right like usually the kids are having fun (laughs) hopefully hopefully they have fun when they're playing it's voluntary meaning that they're choosing to play and it's non-goal oriented they're not really trying to get anything out of playing they're just playing to play they're just playing to have fun doing whatever their little hearts desire but Mm -hmm. not to get something out of it um
0: yeah like in comparison to like working like you're there's a goal for that like you're completing your homework assignment so that you can get an a versus playing you're just playing
1: right and there's even there even could be an argument with playing and having it be something where um like the lego set that you're trying to complete Mm. that's kind of goal oriented you are trying to build that lego and you're trying to get something out of it so there's an argument there yeah not, but there are times where Legos are play, you know, when you're being creative.
0: Yeah, I think mean, that just kind of just shows about like the different types of toys.
1: Yes, which we're totally going to talk about yeah. later. Good setup. <laughs> um, play is also intrinsically complete, which means that the child does not need validation. They do not need rewards. They do not need any reinforcement to play, right they just get they just feel good because they are doing the act of playing they don't need to get anything out of that this can take many forms right there's so many different ways that a kid can play this can be playing with toys imaginary play outdoor play board games which is also kind of discussion based whether board games are play or or not um you are having fun but it's kind of goal oriented and there and there is a little bit of extrinsic value, you know, with winning and losing. Um, but it can also 100% be play at the same time. And sports, kind of that same thing. A little bit goal-oriented, a little bit extrinsic value. But it doesn't always have to be. You know, if you're shooting hoops and you're playing horse or something, I mean, right. there's kind of a winner or a loser, but there's kind of not.
0: There's, like, a difference between, like, practicing your free throws versus, like, doing
1: actual... Like, like a two-on-two game, game. yeah, Yeah, or something, totally. Play is not only fun, but it also helps children develop cognitive, physical, and emotional skills, which we mentioned in that first episode. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to our first episode. (laughs) Uh, For example, playing with blocks can help children develop their spatial awareness and problem-solving skills. You can see this when they when their blocks keep falling over and they keep changing something a little bit each time so it doesn't fall over or where they're exactly going to put it. Playing tag can improve their physical coordination and their social skills. Imaginary play like pretending to be a doctor or a teacher can help children learn to regulate their emotions and develop empathy. Yeah
0: so there's like lots of different types of play which I was already like surprised to learn about and like I remember learning about this in my first development, like, child development class, and Mm -hmm. it was just, like, I feel like play gets... It can be seen negatively, you know, where it's, like, oh, if you're playing, then you're just, like, having fun. Like, you're not really doing anything productive. Right. I think especially in our society, that focuses so much on, like, hustle culture and, like, always having to be doing stuff all the time. Like, play gets so downplayed. (laughs) 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 That was not, not intended, but, um... But, um, <laughs> I think it's just, like, it was really interesting to learn about play in a way that it's actually seen as, like, productive, right? Like, there's totally. actually, like, a benefits that come out of play, like, you mentioned, like, social skills, like, spatial awareness, learning how to, like, even just interact with, like, your peers
1: and, yeah. like, other people. Totally. That's such a good point. You can kind of tell, right, as an adult interacting with other adults, how much they played with other kids when they were children, right? Right, The way that they're interacting, their social skills, the way they can share, they can give a control, how they work in a team, like even Mm -hmm. in this group project, you know, you can kind of see how if they played with kids a lot and if they didn't, because if they didn't, then they don't necessarily have those social skills that are so fundamental to being an adult and working together with other people yeah and you learn that from play which I kind of wrote off play as being mm, kind of a waste of time like they should be learning something right right.
0: (laughs) like as a kid it was always like oh well if you have free time then do this at least do this like math worksheet yes
1: (laughs) or you have to like quietly read to yourself for 20 minutes before you can move on and play Mm -hmm. with anything
0: or any game that you buy like as a kid like it was like okay if you're gonna buy a game it's gonna have to be like some like educational right
1: like all the video games i had growing up were like very educational games because my family was the same way thinking that play needs to be educational so i was doing like a lot of sudoku and like word Mm -hmm. searches and like i love sudoku as like an adult too and i think it's cool that i learned how to play it at such a young age but i think balancing that with other just Fun games and not necessarily like having to learn. It's like a running joke, a running joke with me and my partner when we were picking out new video games. And I am like gravitating towards these like trivia games, (laughs) and then he's like, "That's not a game. Like that's not fun. That's studying." Yeah, he's like, "That's learning," and I'm like, "But it's so fun! Like because that's what we knew growing up is is the value of education, which is a value, but there's also this importance of play." totally
0: because then i feel like now as an adult it's like you're associating play with like you can't just have play for fun now
1: yeah because then it feels like i'm wasting my time like i need to be doing something again with this hustle culture Mm -hmm. like i can't just spend this time playing like i need to be learning i need to be Trying something new. I need to be expanding my horizons and whatever that means. Personal growth or something, right? Yeah. When actually play as an adult is like self care. Self care, but
0: actually just sitting down to like yeah. watch a show.
1: Self care, <laughs> yeah. yes. Or like playing a non trivia video game is self care, but right. and I think as a it's interesting going off on this side tangent of self care we as a society are putting so much focus on self-care these days it seems like that's Mm -hmm. such a topic like oh what's your self-care right in an interview like literally i was in an interview today and they were like what's your self-care plan you know Mm -hmm. it's so important but then we're not thinking that play can be self-care for children like we're not valuing that for them and but as an adult that's valued so it's this concept of Children are less than adult, like they don't need self-care, they don't need this time to play and just be a kid and have this spontaneous, voluntary, non-goal-oriented, intrinsically complete activity. They Mm -hmm. need to be doing something for a purpose.
0: Yeah, like it's just as much as part of their mental health as like anything else.
1: Right, and not only is it good for their mental health, but also all these other aspects of their life where it's improving and they're learning they actually are learning social skills and soft skills yeah
0: and it's so important especially at this age right where like they haven't had previous experiences learning these skills of like social skills like spatial skills they're like a brand new human in this earth right (laughs) so it's so important to like make sure that they get this play
1: this like self-care right exactly and they can learn the exactly they can learn these social skills through play, while they're also learning spatial awareness, they're also learning problem solving. Like they are learning so much through play, that it's such a crime for us to write it off that, mm-hmm. like we have been. Oh, not only through play, so they're learning all these things, but it is also how children are processing things, which is such a, an important topic for play therapy. But there are so many times where things happen to kids, and they don't need to go to play therapy because they're processing it through their play. Mm-hmm. So yes, it's apparent in play therapy. But it's also very much apparent in your play at home when you are allowing the child the right yeah. and the space to have their play.
0: Right. I think that's a really good connecting point of like, <laughs> you know, in play therapy, there is this like focus on, oh, making sure that the we're there's like a reason that we're there. Right. We're there to make sure that the kid gets to process their emotions, process whatever they're going through. And it happens through play. Um and I guess it does kind of go into this role now of, like, oh, then what's the difference between play and play therapy? Right, like, again, like, we're we circling that. At home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is, like, utilizing those skills of, like, in therapy, like, the difference is that as a play therapist, then you're kind of facilitating that type of process. I think when you're just playing and you don't know how to, like, pick out these themes and, like, things that are going on, like, you have skills as a play therapist to actually help them process it versus just it just happening.
1: Right. And especially, again, like I said before, like, it depends on the theory. Like, maybe as Mm -hmm. a child-centered, we don't necessarily pick out as many things to process with the kids. But there are theories that do. And that's just as important as what we do in child-centered. And it's not just, like, there is that role of the therapist, which I know that we're going to discuss further on. But having this space where there's no expectation of the child other than to play is so important because even yes when you're playing at home there are other expectations that are on the child and like using their inside voice or mm. not throwing their toys at the wall or picking up after yourself. Don't put the sand on the floor or you know, any of these rules which are a hundred percent necessary at home aren't necessary in the playroom and so right. the child has more freedom to express themselves and to work through whatever they need to work through.
0: Right. I think that also reminds me of like in the play therapy room Like even if you're inviting the parent to be in the room with you, like that dynamic is also different in play therapy. Like you're at that like if your parent comes into the play therapy room, it's not like suddenly then then we're just back at home and like now it's just like your parent playing with you. Right. Like they usually do. Like when they come into the room, it's it is helpful for the child when if they feel like anxiety and like they don't feel comfortable with the play therapist, but the parent is doing the same thing that the play therapist
1: is doing. Yeah. They're
0: being just as non directive like. We're kind of like, I guess, facilitating how it maybe could happen at home,
1: yeah. You know, and I know that we've been taught like, if the parent is in the room, the parent is now a toy, yeah. Like, the child can tell the parent to do things or how to do things, just like they can with the play therapist. Like, they are kind of like a puppet, and Mm -hmm. the child is the puppet master, and they get to decide what their parent can or cannot do when they're in the playroom because ultimately. Again, the focus is on the child, and this is the child's time, and it is their special place to do whatever that they need to do or want to do. Yeah, but it is such a like conundrum. Yeah, that we're always encountering is how is play therapy different than play, which we're going to get into all the reasons. You know, I mean that's, that's still what to this come. That's is, what this episode is, right? like, but so it's worthy of a whole entire episode. Yeah because it can seem similar which is kind of good because you should be having that play at your, at home too yeah. but play therapy is when they need a little bit more
0: right so with that said <laughs> seeing how all the important parts of play like as we mentioned before right this is why we're using play in play therapy um as we defined in the last episode um APT the <laughs> association for play therapy defines Play therapy as a the systematic use of theoretical model to establish an interpersonal process wherein trained thera- play therapists use the therapeutic powers. <laughs> therapeutic <laughs>
1: powers.
0: <laughs> um, wherein trained play therapists use the therapeutic powers of play to help clients prevent or resolve psychosocial difficulties and achieve optimal growth and development. I think what stands out to me about this definition is like the developmental part which we did go over a lot more in like the first episode but just to like highlight that again in this episode how developmentally this is the way that ch- children talk and like toys are their words and play is their, their language.
1: language yes um 100% i agree and like we again we mentioned again just to recap child center play therapy provides a safe and non-judgmental space for children to express their thoughts feelings and experiences through play Child-centered play therapists use non-directive play where the child leads the play and the therapist follows their lead to help children process and express their emotions.
0: So I feel like we've been talking a lot about how the therapist is like and how it compares to being a parent or like any adult, I guess, in the child's life. As a therapist, in contrast to parents, we're supposed to be non-directive, we're a follower, we're a fellow explorer. So again, like the child is always taking the lead in this situation, in this relationship.
1: (laughs) And there are no, as I mentioned before, there are no expectations from the therapist onto the child. There is no responsibilities. The child is free to be whoever, whatever they want to be in the playroom. Spend that time however they want to spend it. And the play therapist is just kind of along for the ride. Mm-hmm.
0: Like even to the point where they can say stuff like, oh, today I want blue to be purple. Yeah. And We just have to roll with
1: that. <laughs> you decided... That that's purple. Right.
0: Whereas I think with adults, it's a little bit different.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of the time the adult would be like, no, that's blue. Right. right? Because there's such, again, there's such an emphasis on learning. Right. And so we're trying to teach the kids, no, like, these are the colors. You have to know your colors. It's important, which which is important. But in the play therapy room, we can allow to facilitate that creativity Mm -hmm. where blue can be purple and we're not focusing on learning and making sure that they actually know their colors. We're focusing on whatever they feel like doing and whatever they want it to be.
0: Right. Like we're not there to be grading them on whether they know the facts or not. (laughs)
1: Exactly. And it's not our jobs as play therapists to correct them or to educate them or to do any of that, you know, maybe at least in child-centered play therapy. Yeah. And other theories, they may be more of an educator with the child about skills and stuff. But with our theory that we've been mostly trained in, is not about that at yeah. all.
0: In that, to be fair, like, I feel like we've been mentioning all these other, I don't count it. We've been mentioning so much about all these different theories and stuff. And, and it's not really to, like, minimize the theory that we're, we chose to talk about. Like, there's kind of a reason why we're choosing to talk about this one. Yes, it's the one that we're focusing on in class. (laughs) Yes. But also because it's the most empirically supported one.
1: Yes. Meaning, for those of you that may not know what that means, it means it's the most research-backed theory. Mm -hmm. Uh, Similarly to therapy with adults, cognitive behavioral therapy has, like, the most empirically empirical support Mm -hmm. which means it has like the most research the more backings the most stats for it when we're talking about play therapy that's child-centered play therapy we have the most research and findings and studies to really back the efficacy of child-centered play
0: yeah and like the benefits of it i think it's like the it kind of goes back to this whole like we're kind of reframing making new patterns in this child's life or i guess that's what we're hoping for in the next generation Mm -hmm. um where when play does get like associated with this like getting things right like how many times nowadays where we feel like oh sometimes i just want to be silly and sometimes i just want to say that this cloud looks like whatever yeah i want to decide that it could be something totally outlandish yeah and like sometimes if you keep getting this if you're building this pattern early on of like oh like everything i say even though i know i'm joking i know i'm just like making fun i'm just Mm -hmm. imaginative play right now And, like, constantly having to be corrected by that, like, it kind of stunts you in the future, I think, of being creative.
1: One of the things that our textbook really talks about is how the therapist is the different adult in the child's life, which we have been mentioning throughout this episode. Uh, There is this really cool section in it called Tenets for Relating to Children. And, again, this is from a child-centered frame. As we said, everything that we do kind of is. So there's these 10 tenets of relating to children. Number one is that children are not miniature adults. And the therapist does not respond to them as if they were.
0: Such a big one. <laughs> right. So often are we told that, like, you know, like, speak to them like you would like any other adult. Like, you're, it's all this, like, added expectations that we have of them. That we should be talking to them like an adult so that they can act like an adult. So they can be prepared to be an adult. But they're not an adult.
1: A hundred percent. That... like this idea that if you speak to them like they're an adult, they are going to it's going to help them in the long run, because they're going to understand how to talk, they're going to understand how to act. You're not like sugarcoating anything, Mm -hmm. you know, it's all very much reality based, but they're not miniature adults, they're children, like their brains are not developed, they cannot literally, they physically cannot comprehend adult concepts. Mm -hmm. And they're not supposed to. Right.
0: And I think there's a difference, too, because it's, like, I think think people see that when they do do these things with their kid and they're treating them like adults and then they see that they're, like, what's the word? Like, imitating what they're doing, right? Like, they're copying... They're speaking in such, like, mature language. Like, I feel like on TikTok and, like, all these videos you see of, like, kids acting so adult. It's, like, everyone praises them so much. Like, oh, my God, like, they're so mature for their age. They're so blah, blah, blah. But there's a difference between, like being able to imitate how they see their parents acting versus really understanding why you should be speaking in that way and, like, the whole reason behind it.
1: Branching off of that, it's this idea of, like, praising them for that they're being mature. So that's, like, praising them that they're not being a child.
0: Right. So it's, like...
1: And so then... The opposite side of that coin, right, is that they are then shamed mm-hmm. for being a child, which is exactly what they are. When they are a literal child. Right. <laughs>
0: what do you want them to be then? <laughs> right.
1: And we know, it's so interesting because we know the parentification of a child is mm-hmm. harmful. Exactly. But yet we're trying to make sure that they... Are so mature. Are so mature, so which is exactly like parentification, they're growing up way too fast, which as adults, we know that it's not good to grow up too fast. But then it's like in that same breath, we're hoping that our children are more mature mm-hmm. and less silly and less rambunctious because it's easier for when you're ch- you. for you as when your adult, child yeah. is a little bit more reined in and composed when they're, when they're not supposed they're to be.
0: <laughs> they're supposed to be lashing out. They're supposed to not understand how their emotions are like... You know, they're supposed to be learning.
1: They're learning. <laughs> yes, exactly. The second tenet is that children are people. They're capable of experiencing deep emotional pain and joy. This is something that we kind of talked about in that first uh, episode, almost that session, in our first <laughs> episode as well, because this idea of that children feel things, they mm. are capable of feeling things, feeling pain physical pain and emotional pain and experiencing trauma yes just because they are a child does not mean that their feelings are any less valid than yours are as an adult they just might not know how to express it number three children are unique and worthy of respect the therapist prizes the uniqueness of each child and respects the person the child is
0: this kind of plays along that idea of like Mm. Like, this whole, like, power differential thing that Mm. happens a lot in society where it's, like, because I'm the adult, then you should respect me because you're the child. Yeah. But...
1: But then they're not offering any respect to the child. mm -hmm. It's all very one One way. Yeah, one-sided. You need to respect me, but I'm not going to respect you. It's kind of this idea of why would you ask a child to do something that you wouldn't ask an adult to do? Mm -hmm. For example... I'm sitting on the couch and my water bottle's in the kitchen, right? I wouldn't ask my partner to get up out of the couch and go grab my water bottle for me, but maybe I would ask a kid, like, "Hey, can you go grab my water bottle for me?" Like,
0: right? But have I been a kid that has gotten asked to pass the remote even every day of my life? You know,
1: (laughs) every day, exactly. And then, because and then, you're also like, oh, it's okay. So like, they're holding the water bottle. Then they <laughs> like to be helpful. They like right, to help they you. Do. Yeah. But it's just this idea of, so it's not bad to do that and to have them help you because they learn so much from helping you too. But would you ask your partner to do that same thing? And if no, then why are you asking the child that? Yeah. Like, why, why do you why?
0: expect them?
1: Yeah. That they should do that. That they you. should just help you. Do you respect them mm-hmm. and their autonomy enough to not? Be your beck and call for you to not be your butler,
0: (laughs) pretty much your little minion. (laughs)
1: Right. Or children are resilient. Children possess a tremendous capacity to overcome obstacles and circumstances in their lives. We see this all the time when kids get into fights with other kids, and then all of a sudden they're just like over it, and you're like, wait, what? Like how? And then me as an adult, I'm, like, still holding on to a grudge from 10 years ago. (laughs) And I cannot just get over it. But children get over it so quickly. Like, again, that tremendous capacity to just get over it. To just get over things. And they keep moving on. Like, just keep on trucking. Yeah. Number five. Children have an inherent tendency toward growth and maturity. They possess an inner intuitive wisdom.
0: It kind of plays into this idea that, like, as therapists, part of what this whole play therapy process is, is to kind of just teach us as adults also to be to trust in children, to be able to make their own decisions and to have autonomy and to be able to like make sound decisions that they believe are good for their own good. Totally. Yeah.
1: Number six, children are capable of positive self-direction. They are capable of dealing with their world in creative ways. I also think that's <laughs> what of, we just <laughs> talked kind <of> about. <laughs> Uh, number seven children's natural language is play this is the medium of self-expression with which they are most comfortable i think we talked about this a lot in the first episode so if you need a repeat go back and listen (laughs) children have a right to remain silent the therapist respects a child's decision not to talk very big yeah
0: i think this is why we also as adults like ask children question so often because it's like we're uncomfortable with the silence right we we always have to ask them like what are you doing like oh do you like that game you're playing we're always asking so many questions because we feel like they have to respond
1: and that's our way of connecting with them that if they respond to our questions then they are bought into us and that we have some sort of rapport and that's not really how a child is going to build their rapport
0: like they don't care about what you think about what they're doing? No. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, yeah, I'm playing Minecraft. <laughs> yeah. Period.
1: <laughs> and that's why in child-centered play therapy, the therapist doesn't really ask any questions. You know, unless there is a safety concern, the therapist just reflects back, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about that in later episodes too. But there are no probing questions. Really, mm-hmm. it's if the kid wants to talk, the kid can talk, and if they don't want to talk, then. Then That's we're there right. in the silence and we're just observing the play and the therapist is responding. The therapist can keep making statements, but the child doesn't have to say anything back to that.
0: Yeah. And I think this goes back to the like the respect point too, of like, yeah, you wouldn't expect like everyone that you talk to, to like always have to reply to you. Like right. you respect adult silence. Why can't you expect a child's silence?
1: Totally. Number nine, children will take the therapeutic experience to where they need to be. The therapist does not attempt to determine when or how a child should play. Again, this is really specific to child-centered play therapy and you know we're not asking the child to play with something specific. We're not asking them to or telling them what they should be playing with or try to direct them to a certain toy to be playing with. It's very much the children will do whatever they need to do. They will start their play to meet whatever need that needs to be met and then as the therapist we can see the themes there and see what needs they're meeting and how maybe our statements back to them can help them meet that need
0: and facilitate where they want their play session to go
1: totally okay last one number 10 children's growth cannot be speeded up the therapist recognizes this and is patient with the child's developmental process
0: yeah i feel like this kind of just goes into like the whole play therapist. Concept, right? The whole play therapy concept has to do with the fact that it's developmentally appropriate for the child.
1: Right. And again, with this, like taking the therapeutic experience to where they need to be, the therapist is patient with the child and it's not like, hey, I I know you need to work through this trauma, like, play with the bus, please. Right. No, it's whatever they need it to be, at whatever pace they need it to be, and you just kind of go with that. If at some point, you know, you're 10 sessions in and and they keep doing the same repeated play, and they seem kind of stuck, then maybe the therapist will help out. But really, it's a lot of patience and, and just letting the child do whatever they need to do right then.
0: Yeah. But I also feel like with that example, right, like, if it takes them 10 weeks to do it, that gives you information too. Right. You don't have to, like, manipulate how they're playing to get information. Totally. So those are the ten tenets of relating to children as a therapist. As a pet. But yeah, this is more so just, like, highlighting the difference between play therapists and adults in your life. And I also want to preface this by saying it's not like we're saying you're doing everything wrong as as an adult and as a parent. Like, there are times for when you're being a play therapist and when you're being an adult and being a parent. Like
1: Right. Like, even our professor is a parent, and she is not being her play therapist self all the time with her children. Like, they need the parent, they need the parental role, and then sometimes they need a play therapist role, and they are two completely different things, and both are great and they there are places where they overlap and there are places where they don't but both are necessary Mm -hmm. sometimes they don't always necessary for a play therapist but (laughs) if it is necessary for a play therapist then yes yeah
0: so with the play materials as we kind of alluded to earlier on (laughs) (laughs) foreshadowing um you know there's so many different types of toys especially in this day and age right i feel like with technology. This is a whole different world of toys and games and things that kids do. Um, But let's get back to the basics. (laughs) We have blocks, we have pen and paper, markers and papers, crayons and papers. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many different types of toys and they all have a different use, right? Like That's why, in general, why we have different toys that we like to play with, right? They all have different uses. Um, I think we kind of mentioned like three different types earlier on where it's like there's a difference between toys that are directive and non directive. Yeah. And there are also toys that are educational and non yeah. educational. <laughs> and yeah. other types are still educational, but they don't have, they're not limited by like an end
1: objective. Yeah. <laughs>
0: There are also different types of toys that you would have in at home versus what you would have in a play therapy room.
1: A hundred percent.
0: I guess we wanted to talk a little bit more about the toys that are in a play therapy room because I think just as like an example of contrasting toys at home, in a play therapy room there are again non directive toys. So this means any type of toy that's Doesn't have an end goal (laughs) that allows a kid to freely express how they're feeling, that they can manipulate maybe the rules or how it technically should be played, quote unquote, should be played. Um, They're able to play it in however way they want to play. Mm -hmm. So in play therapy room, um, things that are nurturing, things that are aggressive things that facilitate creativity and things that are kind of represent reality and so each of these different categories kind of represent a different aspect of a child's life that they can model and emulate in their play so for example for nurturing toys we would have things like a pillow and a blanket or like uh dolls right a lot of stuffed Stuffed animals
1: you can have like a first aid kit the dolls with like the bottle or something like a baby bottle yeah
0: anything that has to do with like caring for something yeah um with toys that are aggressive this could be things like a nerf gun or like a toy sword or a toy aggressive animal could also be like a dinosaur
1: or a shark an egg crate.
0: Right. I think that's like a good, that's a good point. <laughs> Cause one of the things that we also learned in our training and stuff is that, you know, toys don't also have to be very expensive. They don't have to be very complicated. They don't have to be branded. It could be something that we could take out of our fridge. An MTI carton could be used for aggressive play. So.
1: Yes. And I mean, it's aggressive play because they can hit it and they can break it and they can throw it and they can do all of these things to it. And that's okay. Like we're not upset that you ripped my egg carton in half. It's fine. Like I can get another one.
0: Another category of play, such as reality toys, these are anything that represents things that would happen in the real life. Yeah. So this could be toy cars that represent real life. This could be animals. Play food. I was gonna mention like the medicine kit too could also be like a form of reality play yeah um, so as you can tell like these toys can kind of go into different categories
1: right like animals can also kind of be an aggressive and reality play right. depending on the kind of animal
0: mm-hmm. creativity toys are anything to do with like your arts and crafts um yeah this could be paint this could be play-doh this could be markers and crayons make sure you bring paper i didn't bring paper my first time Oof. <laughs> <laughs> i'm like i got all the writing stuff nothing to write on
1: though we just drop the bomb here That an egg crate is also great for creativity. They can paint on it. They can color on it. They can do all of these things with an egg crate too uh, because there's no ruining it. Mm -hmm. So it can be with creativity as well. Also kinetic sand could be good for creativity. The important thing, so there's all of these toys and all these different categories for in the playroom. And the important thing is that none of these are electronic toys. None of them tell you what to do. None of them have instructions. None of them have little voices that are saying something. They are all very much is what it is toys. And this allows the child to, they can choose to make it be whatever they want it to be. And maybe the car is an ambulance. Maybe it's a fire truck. Maybe it's a police car. Maybe it's their car. Maybe it's a spaceship. (laughs) Right. Maybe it's a goat. (laughs) Maybe it's a goat. It could be anything. Maybe it's a house. Who knows? It's whatever they want it to be. And there's no... There's nothing telling them what it needs to be. So you'll never find batteries in a playroom because there's nothing electronic. And if there is a toy that did require batteries in the playroom, those batteries are taken out so it's not making any noise. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, a cash register. Maybe that one would take batteries to make noise or whatever, but those batteries are taken out in the playroom so that there's nothing saying anything honestly this was like such an important piece for me to learn when we were learning about this in class because I'm definitely the type of aunt that like buys the very educational toys for my nephews much like we were talking about earlier it was very much like they need to take every opportunity to learn and I want to set them up for success like right that's what parents and any other adult in a child's life is wanting them to do they want to set them up for success and thinking that educational toys are the way to do it which there are some and there are, are ways to do that but it cannot be all the toys that they have mm-hmm. so i like i literally have toys in my house right now for them and one is this like bus the school bus egg carton thing where all the eggs are different emotions to help them learn to identify different emotions and the facial expressions for that which is a cool toy and i mean they really like it but after taking this class, I really reevaluated all the toys that I buy them. And now I'm still buying them some directive toys, but I'm also buying them a lot more non-directive toys. Um, especially for my nephew who just turned two, like it's important for him to have the creative play and to have imaginary play. So these, maybe these eggs, these eggs specifically can be more imaginary, but directive toys when they're telling you exactly what they are, or they're singing the alphabet to you, cannot really foster imaginary play.
0: Yeah, I think it also just makes me think about like in general like this generation especially growing up is now introduced to so much technology and internet and like all of that stuff is electronic right like, right it has direction it has instructions it has rules it has like all these things that kind of tell you how to play the game but it's not really facilitating creativity totally and, like, autonomy
1: or like thinking for themselves mm-hmm. the toy is like push the blue button the kid's gonna push the blue button they're not problem solving they're not thinking of anything that they want to do mm-hmm. they're just listening to directions which is important to listen to directions but that's not really everything we want them to get out of play i have saying in my hand it's so fun you understand when i play it sure feels grand say Brought to you by Sand in the Playroom. In the last section of today's episode, we wanted to leave you with a quick skill that you can use the children in your life. This skill is called the 30-second attention burst, and it is exactly what it sounds like. When you have a child that is maybe pestering you, they're like, mom, 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 and they just like really want your attention and you're doing something and they will just not leave you alone. One thing that research has really found is that if you give them just 30 seconds of your undivided attention, like that helps. That's all they need to feel important and to feel heard. So if you're on the phone and your kid or your nephew or whatever is trying to get your attention and if you could just, talk to the person on the phone and be like, just give me 30 seconds, look to the child, you know, actually look at them, have your nose and your toes facing the child and get down to their level. So you have the eye contact with them and you let them show you or tell you whatever they wanted. And then you say, you know, you validate that or you reflect back or you give them that. And then you're like, okay, you know, I have to get back to this, but later on, you know, we can do something again or i can play with you or later on but i have to finish the dishes or i have to get back to my phone call and that's enough and they they know now that they're important enough that you can take the break from your stuff to give them their attention oftentimes children lessen their attention seeking behavior because they know that they will get your attention when they need it when you start doing these short 30 second attention bursts and honestly what can you not pause for 30 seconds to give your child just a little bit of attention you know it's not you need to sit through the whole five minute of their long story that they're gonna tell you everything that ever happened to them. But just quick thirty seconds is all they need to to learn from you that they are worth your attention.
0: Yeah. I actually tried this <laughs> in when I was babysitting and um we were at the park and it's like it's so often that you see this happen, right? Where kids are always coming to you. They're like constantly asking you questions like, Oh look look at this, like look at what I did and like, you know, you can like you're in the middle of a sentence and they feel like they have to like, be like get your attention like oh my god Sarah like look at this look at this and like you can continue your sentence as an adult I feel like that's what you do right yeah. it's like maybe if I talk over them they'll just go away right. <laughs> because my adult conversation is so much more important than this co- interaction with this kid right right so often it's like oh I'm in the middle of something like don't bother me now and that's fair too right not to hit on all the parents out there right yeah. it's like as an adult Obviously, there are so many responsibilities that we have to take care of. So there are times that we feel like there's so much pressure on us in that we don't have the time to listen to this made up story that they have come up with in the last yeah. half hour that they wanted to tell you about. Um, but that happened to me when I was at the park with my the kid that I was babysitting, where he had made this like treasure map to find this supposed imaginary box of treasure chests mm-hmm. in this park, in this giant park. And I was in the middle of like uh, talking to his parents about something, and um, you know, he came up to us and was kind of just like, Oh, like um, trying to get our attention, trying to tell us about this paper. He's like shoving this paper in our face, and we're like, Hold on, hold on, like, you know, like we're talking about something, like, give us a second. And then I was thinking in my head, I was like, Wait, (laughs) I just learned this in class, like, let me just try this out, let's see how it works out, right? And so I was just like, okay, hold on, right? So I kind of stopped, like, um, the parent about it. And I was like, hey, like, like, hold on. Let's just, like, see what he has to say. Yeah. I, like, got down and I was like, okay, like, tell me what you wanted to tell me. He was like, oh, like, I just wanted to tell you that, like, you know, I made this treasure map and, like, this is where I'm going to go to find the gold and, like, there's dragons protecting this. And I'm like, oh, like, and then I just reflected back, like, oh, you found, you, you made this treasure map. You decided that, you know, there's going to be a, tr- a yeah. treasure chest that you're You're so excited for. about this. Yeah. And literally, I said those three sentences, and then he ran off.
1: Right. Because like, that's all he needed. That's all he needed. <laughs> He just wanted you to hear what he had to say, and then he could do his own thing. Right. Totally. That's such a good example. So again, that 30-second attention burst, look at your child or a child, you know, whatever child is talking to you, trying to talk to you, nose and toes facing them, get down to their level, and be like, okay okay, dude, I have 30 seconds, like, go for it. They say it, you reflect back to them, and they're good, and they're happy, and you just communicated to your child or the child that they are important enough to you to take a break.
0: Mm -hmm. So as our special playtime is ending, uh, we talked about a lot of very important things about play and play therapy, how it differs and things about the difference between an adult and a play therapist, as well as different playroom materials. And the different benefits of
1: each and the 10 tenets ding, 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 of how a play therapist can relate to the children and again that's not bashing on the way parents relate to their children at all it's a completely different role and requires completely different things from the children and we're not saying that you need to emulate a play therapist now in your play in your parenting like at all that is not your job as their parent that is our job as their play therapist now if there are things that you think that you are self-reflecting on and you feel like you could improve on 100%, there's always room for improvement for everybody and everything. But we really just want to emphasize like we are not we're not telling you how to parent. We're not telling you how to act with your child. We're telling you how trained play therapists conduct play therapy with children. So with
0: that said, thank you all so much for listening and in here you can decide to like and subscribe.